Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Get ready for Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. To ensure a longer life, folks, a gun in hand is worth two in the bush. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. There's a popular notion people have about confidential operatives. Stop any guy in the street and ask him. The notion? Steam-heated love, or, as the French say, amour. My classification of workers always got a blonde on one arm, another blonde in his lap, and a third blonde in his eye, so people think. The truth, as a matter of fact, is people are so right. Textbook biology aside, the true reason for our howling success with the ladies is our uh, fatherly appeal. It's women looking for the male protection they missed since the carefree days of the cradle. It's the unladylike search for the strong, dominating male who knows all the answers. It's also the classic feminine urge to pin horns on the masculine cranium. I won my horns by parking overtime outside Grand Central Station. I'd gone in to see if the mayor was making good on his promise to keep the trains running on time. I came out to find a summons tied to my windshield wiper. A green ticket. The $15 variety. Ouch. In my car, I found something more had been added to liven up my humdrum existence. A Cupid doll. Painted a rainbow pink with saucer eyes. And blowing so many scents over me, I got an immediate perfume jag. Uh, isn't there some mistake? No. You, uh, didn't mistake this for public hack? No. Then, uh, I'm in the wrong car? Are you? I'll check. Well, keys fit the ignition. The car belongs to me. Oh, how wonderful. But you don't. How sad. Funny. Funny? I always wonder just how the future Mrs. Barry Craig would happen along. Run into me turning a corner? Or come to me with a letter of introduction from my Uncle Hess in Allentown? You're disappointed it's like this. I'm frightened. Frightened? My uh, blood pressure. Ten more points and I'm flying with the angels. Oh, then you like me. We'll get married and have six kids. Seven. Seven's a lot of laundry. We'll live in the country. I'm allergic to marigolds. A picture wall looking out on green fields. Comes August, I sneeze and my eyes get red. We'll name the children Tommy. Not all six of them. Seven. Oh, I did want one daughter. What will I call you when I'm hunting high and low for my cufflinks? Cerise. And when I want help with the supper dishes? Barry. And when we toast marshmallows and reminisce about how we first came to meet, uh, what should I remember? How I hid in your car to escape the dragon. The dragon? A repulsive little man who follows me. Where did he follow you from last? Connecticut. He was on the train. From Connecticut to my car? Yes. I see. 
Where is Mr. Repulsive right now? Behind us. Behind us? In the gray coupe. He's waiting to follow us when you pull away. I'll fix that. Oh, no. I'm Samson. I break heads like matchsticks. Please, no. No violence. Nothing to spoil the fun we're having. Oh, I feel so good. Oh, I haven't felt good for such a long time. So what do I do? Just take me away. With a chaperone on our tail? You're capable and clever. Huh. I shake guys like salt out of a shaker. I knew you were equal to the dragon. For every block he hangs on over ten, you can paint a zebra stripe on me. In no time, I had more zebra stripes than skin. The repulsive dragon hung on for ten blocks, then thirty more, then through the Holland Tunnel, way into Jersey. I hung up a new highway speed record, but the great coupe stayed in the money. Your dragon drives like he was born to the wheel. But you're so much better. All of a sudden, baby, I'm not so sure. I got off the highway, snaked up and down deserted side roads. I followed the moon across rocks and stumps of forest like my car was a jeep, but the gray coupe hung on. Hung on close enough to point up the risks in my undertaking. <laughs> the dragon's spitting fire at us, baby. He's shooting at your tires. Oh, you're wrong about the tires. Oh, Barry, you've been hit. How are you going to like me with a dimpled elbow? In front of him like this, we're a nice, lush target. Oh, you're not stopping. I've run out of road. Dead end ahead. Oh, we can't. We... Mary, look. He's crashed. Yeah, he has. That will teach him to shoot and drive at the same time. He ran into a tree. Remind me to kiss the tree. Let's go offer our condolences. Uh-huh. Wait. I almost forgot. Uh, got a dime handy? A dime? Oh, yes. Here. But why? I'm throwing it to Finnegan. For luck. It was Finnegan who made the gray coupe crash in the nick of time. Oh. You uh, understand? Yes. Finnegan's your good angel. Oh, I almost forgot, too. Let me see. Mm. A quarter. I'm throwing it to Mrs. Rumpelheimer, my good angel. You're growing on me, baby. No question about it. You're really growing on me. Great Coupe was telescoped like an accordion. Getting the unconscious dragon out of the wreck was like breaking into a sardine can with your fingernails. An owl kept applauding the show. A vest pocket dragon, small hands and dainty feet, and the emaciated look of a guy who went hungry Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. How badly hurt is he? He could be worse. He could be dead. Contusions. When he comes to, he's going to hate that word. Your elbow. Only a nick that can wait. Buster here is really emergency. I've got to get him to a hospital. But... If he keeps bleeding, the dragon will change to a zombie right in front of us. Contusions weren't half the medical jargon. The patient's in an oxygen tent, Mr. Craig. What's the diagnosis? Multiple injuries to the head. Conditional paralysis of the reflexes due to severe concussion. Oh, he'll recover? Pathologically, yes. What does that mean? 
as an aftermath of trauma, there may be psychiatric complications. Meaning? A memory lapse, an amnesia. Rough. Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe Buster has more he'd like to forget than remember. His name appears to be Reuben Clark? Yeah. That's the name on the label sewed inside his coat. But no other identification, address, the nearest of kin? No. As I've already said, I looked for a wallet. Oddly enough, he wasn't carrying one. Mm. The hospital will need more information for a police report. I've uh, told you all I know. I was out driving with my girl and heard this crash behind me. The gray coupe out of control had folded against a tree. I played Good Samaritan. That's all there is. He's in your hands now, Doc, so give him the full treatment, huh? Get a perfume jag on and your brain takes to the hills. It happens to a bachelor pushing 40. That weak moment when single bliss suddenly has the feeling of solitary confinement. Oh, you were wonderful rescuing me. The Congressional Medal goes to that tree. Do what you did for me in blind faith. All through history, men have gone blind and boneheaded over a Cupid doll. Mark Anthony, for instance. Oh. Ooh, baby. You kiss like you took a graduate course. No man has ever risked himself for me before. The men in your past must have been 80 and over. I've never before had a champion. Tie a blue ribbon around my neck and uh, fit the dunce cap at a rakish angle. The dunce cap? Blind faith, you said. I could be promoting a horse laugh at myself. Oh, no. Then fill in a few reassuring facts. Uh, facts? The delirious dragon I palmed off in a hospital. Reuben Clark, who is he? I'm not sure. Who do you think he is? I think a, a man in the hire of my guardian. And what's the problem with your guardian? I... I don't think I want to talk about it. It's too late for reluctance, baby. I've taken too big a bite of your life. He's mistreated me. Hurt me. Kept me prisoner. Confined me to my room, always under watch. Why? He wants to marry me. There was money. Many, many valuable things left to both of us when my parents died. And guardian wants all of it through marriage to you? Yes. Hmm. But why run? Why not stand up to him, get to a lawyer, go to the police? I can't. He's clever, my guardian. Devilishly clever and determined. You're in the land of the free. We pay judges to step on worms. He threatened to have me put away if I oppose him, if I keep refusing to marry him. What do you mean, put away? In a sanitarium. He's bribed people, old servants, even old friends to swear that I'm mentally irresponsible. Nice guy, your guardian. Well, I have no way of fighting him, fairly. You've got me. Oh, thank you so much, but I... I don't want to fight him. Procrastination, baby. I just want to hide and rest. Not think today and tomorrow. Just... Just not think. I've been trapped in a nightmare, in a, in a hideous nightmare. Sure, sure you have. It's up to your ears. You want to breathe there. Nothing to fret over. Just pass the time. Hmm. And have fun, like the fun we were having. Six kids. Seven. During this breather, where do you want to be? Anywhere, where only you can find me. Okay. I know a country shack owned by a friend of mine over at Scotch Plains. Oh. It won't be in use until May 1st, and I know where the key is. Oh, you're wonderful. You'll be the guest of a certain Lieutenant Trav Rogers, only he won't know it. It's Rogers' shack. Oh. 
I'll stock you up with groceries and look in now and then. I'll take you over to it. Just one more fact to file away. Who and where is your guardian? I'd rather not at present. No, you can trust me. My word on it. I won't make a move until you agree to it. My guardian is Jeffrey Foley. We live in Tuxedo Grove Heights, Connecticut. Back in my office, I got my first real indication that boy-girl woo-hoo sometimes echoes back ow-wow. An uninvited caller. Male, 30 about, a flashy dresser and a peppermint-striped shirt, gray suede gloves, and a nickel-plated revolver. You Barry Craig? Uh, no. What do you mean, no? This is Craig's office? Was. Uh, I took over this morning. I'm a distant cousin. Then where's Craig? Passed away. Croaked? Yeah, all of a sudden at uh, 2 a.m. this morning. What are you giving me? The obituary. Into your pocket and throw your wallet on the desk. I want to check. It uh, so happens I'm uh, uh, carrying Craig's wallet to turn it over to the estate. Where's your dame? Dame? You're asking for something, Craig. Your arm will get stiff pointing that gun. I got a heat lamp home. Oh. You don't want to talk about the dame, huh? I've got a block against discussing women. I was a retarded adolescent. Want to talk about the track? The dame. Famous battles of history, then. The dame. You're a hard man to please. Get over to the window. The window? Open it. You can't throw guys out of windows. Why not? The sanitation code. Littering the sidewalk. You'll be socked five bucks in magistrate's court. Open the window, comedian. Now, close it. Close it? Just what did that accomplish? Yes, smart. Figure it out yourself. I just did. Who was I signaling? The big guy. He'll be up to talk to you. Later. Later? After I softened you up. So you can talk politely to the big guy. He don't like wise-cracking comedians. Now lie down on the floor. What for? So I can get at your head. Standing up, I can't reach you. You are kind of short. For a muscle man. Yeah, bending over the dice all the time I was a kid grew down and stood up. So lie down, Craig. Nice, huh? You can close the safety catch on your gun. I'll lie down nice. Now tell me a funny story. While I work. <laughs> in a fog, <clears throat> a cigar fog, clouds of strong tobacco blowing in my face. I found a face behind the cigar after a while, a moon face with a contented smile, like men smile after dealing themselves a royal flush in spades. <clears throat> hey, keep that stinkweed in my face and I'll be gassed to death. It's fine Cuban tobacco. But I'm no Cuban. Let's talk, Craig. Let's talk about the beating I survived. My deepest apologies. The dude is a continual embarrassment to me. The dude, huh? I've tried to teach him moderation and restraint. Turn him over to my teaching for ten minutes. All right, I will. Joke. I don't know where I fit into your game. I'll tell you. Automobile license number BC100, New York. 
Honorary plates issued to Barry Craig. So? Your automobile. I saw a certain young lady get into it yesterday. It pulled away, unfortunately, before I could formulate strategy. In pursuit, I lost the car in traffic. So? This morning, I identified you as the owner of the car. Where's the girl, Craig? I don't know. She thanked me for the lift and got off at Battery Place. I don't think so. You'll have to take my word on it. Temporarily, perhaps. I'm fairly resourceful at proving liars to be liars. The dude's arm-weary right now. I'm also a vindictive man when lied to. My one great failing. Who hasn't got one flaw in his character? You're, uh, a practical man, Craig. Is that a cash bribe developing? A modest gesture of goodwill. One thousand dollars? Keep your money in your pocket. You're not tempted? Only curious. What makes the girl worth a grand on the hook? That doesn't concern you. It had better not concern you. You're a fool, Craig. Lockenvar riding for a fall. Who's Lockenvar? You're championing a girl you know nothing about. Whatever she told you, Craig, you can be sure it's pure invention. I'm only sure you're after her and you ring counterfeit. Craig, I warn you. And that stooge in a peppermint shirt you use for a calling card. You don't really think you can whistle me over to your side? All right. Hide the girl, play the hero, and the idiot. There's a keg of dynamite under you, Craig. Well, if only you could free your eyes of stardust. Keg of dynamite. The phrase kept repeating in my head until it gave me the willies. How much of the truth had Cupid told me, I began to wonder. Information? Will you get me the phone number of a Jeffrey Foley, Tuxedo Grove Heights, Connecticut? Later in the afternoon, I went calling on love. Lock and bars here, baby. Very. With a sack full of groceries. Wax beans, salmon, fresh blueberries. Vintage year bagels, enough food to keep you hiding out for a month. Here, I'll take your coat. Take my hat first, huh? The dunce cap. The dunce cap? I hate myself in it. Take it off me, baby. Barry, what's happened? I tried to telephone that wicked old guardian of yours. You tried to? Jeffrey Foley of Tuxedo Grove Heights, Connecticut. There's no Tuxedo Grove Heights anywhere on the map of Connecticut. I, I lied. Tell me something I don't know. But only about the address. What's the real address? Cranberry Hills, Pennsylvania. Why'd you lie about the address? I... I wasn't sure I could trust you. Really trust you. Baby, come here. I've confided in people only to have them use me. Extort money. Hurt me. Two guys dropped in on me today looking for you. They barely stopped short of murder. I came out here by way of Planet X to shake them. You must be quite a prize to rate two homicidal retrievers like my morning callers. One million dollars, Barry. The estate my guardian is trying to steal. It's worth one million dollars. A million dollars? I knew that love, when it came, would be nothing trivial, but I never dreamed it would have a Dun and Bradstreet rating. <laughs> 
perfumed doll cries on your shoulder and reality drowns in a tub of tears. Cupid knew her way to my heart like there was a neon sign on my chest saying, Enter here. When love let go of my throat long enough, I took a half-hearted whack at confidential investigating. I did some more sneak checking on Cupid, the repulsive dragon, Reuben Clark. I wanted his version of events. Patient has shown extraordinary improvement, Mr. Craig. Is he conscious, Doc? Yes. I want to talk to him. I don't think... Don't think. The first story I told you, I thinned it down a little. The fact is this. Well, police badge. Uh-huh. But, uh... Don't pump me, Doc. I'm engaged in Operation Top Secret. I can't give out facts until I've wrapped up the case. Of course. Which door do we go through? The dragon talked like a guy kicking himself around the block. I first saw the girl on the train. Cerise Foley. I never knew her name. Oh, no. Look, let me tell it my own way. All right, tell it. Well, it was in the club car. She sat across the aisle from me, looking peculiar. Looking peculiar? A little loony, humming little ditties, then winking over to me, then laughing to herself. Are we talking about the same girl? Look, I'm talking about the chick you made me chase all over Jersey. Keep talking. Well, the way it was, I figured an easy pickup. You're trying awfully hard for a bust on the snooze. You asked me to tell you, and I'm telling you. Okay, tell me. Well, I'm a guy like any other guy. Good looker like this chick wants to be sociable, so I... Stop embroidering it, Buster. So what'd you do, marry her or something? You took the seat beside her. Then what? Well, we got to talking, getting acquainted. I told her how I was a hardware salesman fresh in from Binghamton. I don't want to know your pedigree. Well, she told me she was princess something or other, traveling incog... What word am I muffin? Incognito. Yeah, incognito. Well, her uncle was a Maharaja somewhere, and she was here on a secret mission for him. To raise cash, she said. The Maharaja was stone broke. You're making this up. Well, I thought she was until I got a peek into that overnight bag she kept on her lap. What was in the bag? Jewels. The stuff the Maharaja sent her here to sell off. Jewels, mister. Enough jewels to make you go clean off your rocket. Like you went. Yeah, like I went. Cupy confirmed the fact of the jewels. Yes, Barry. I have jewels. Many, many jewels. Bracelets, brooches, rings. Oh, right here in my overnight bag. See? They're real? Well, yes, of course. Where did you get them? Uh, I asked, where did you get them? You're hurting me, Barry. No phony stories about a guardian or a Maharaja. I want the truth. I, I stole them. Who from? Jeffrey Foley. Of Cranberry Hills, Pennsylvania? No. Oh, he really lives in Meadow Farms, New York. I worked for Mr. Foley as an upstairs girl. You were Foley's maid? Yes. He was a brute. And Mrs. Foley, too. They mistreated me, humiliated me. So you made off with a fortune in jewels? Yes. Baby, put your hands out nice and straight. Put my hands out? I'm handcuffing you and tying you up. So you stay put in my absence. Where are you going? Away from that sweet, sappy, daffy kisser of yours. So I can think. Grand larceny, baby. With yours truly, accessory after the fact. 
I thought it over, stewed over it, and wound up telling it to Lieutenant Trav Rogers. So love finally came to Barry Craig. If you have to rub it in. What brand of smokes do you want sent to the state pen? Give me an out. An out like? A deal, uh, quietly arranged. This Foley gets his jewels back and he doesn't prosecute. Where's the girl in the swag now? When I tell you, uh, don't blow a fuse. What's that supposed to mean? Your shack up in Scotch Plains, where you uh, uh, cool off uh, July and August. What about my shack? The girl's been hiding out there. Uh, she's there now. Craig, of all the crust. Oh, I didn't think you'd mind. You didn't think I'd mind a common thief and a moonstruck admirer and an accomplice. Now, Craig, you're under arrest, and so is your Cupid doll. The minute I arrive in Scotch Plains. But it didn't end like that. As it turned out, after some nice police handling, I had a couple of new wallops, a couple of new surprises in store. The first surprise was handed me by a solemn-faced fellow wearing a white coat and a white beard, a doctor. I'd been brought to a place called Hopewell Rest, a sanitarium, by Trav Rogers. This is Dr. Kempner, a psychiatrist. Doctor, tell it to Craig. Uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Craig, I'm acquainted with all the details of your curious experience with Cerise Foley, the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Jeffrey Foley. Daughter? Now, wait a minute, doctor. Uh, Craig, hear the doctor out. Okay. The story of the jewels and her position as a maid were a pure fabrication. Part of, shall I say, her newest hallucination. Newest hallucination? The young lady has been a mental patient under my care here for some time. She hallucinates many, many things. The jewels belong to her father. She merely appropriated them in this latest escapade. Two guys who worked over me. Who were they? I'll answer that. They were private detectives hired by the father to recover the jewels and his daughter without publicity. They play rough for private detectives. <laughs> Their promised fee was $25,000. The fee had them a little over-eager. Uh, Cerise, uh, she's here now uh, in this sanitarium? Uh, yes. Uh, she is confined here. Can I see her? number two added some gray hairs to the few I already had. I watched the doctor walk Cupid doll toward me. Hello, baby. The doc tells me you'll do okay, and uh, I'm rooting for you. Who is this man, doctor? I watched her stare at me blankly, stare through me, then walk away. You... See, Mr. Craig. She looked right through me, as if she didn't know me. She does not know you. That is another symptom in her uh, hallucinations. An element of amnesia, shall we say. She forgets the escapade and her companion in it totally. You mean she'll never remember me? Never know me? I mean, you must forget her. You are her good friend a day. And now, it is another day. You'll get over her, Craig. It'll hurt a while, but you'll get over her. Yeah, I'll get over her. <laughs> that crack you made, Trav, what was it again? Oh, yeah. 
love comes to Barry Craig. Good night, folks. See you next week. You'll be listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, A Time to Kill, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story titled Motive for Murder, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, death flies the Atlantic from Lisbon to New York, a corpse breaks the bank for $40 million, and yours truly almost sprouts wings. See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Cerise was Arlene Blackburn. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Next, Robert Montgomery presents something different in news analysis on NBC. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. When the high cost of living gets your nanny, folks... Walk that last mile with a guy whose only gripe is the high cost of dying. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. Over the hot stove, winters, while lubricating your tonsils with a hot toddy and wondering how long to spring, freelance operatives pass the time exactly the way barbers, ball players, and bookies pass the time. They talk shop. The toughest case you ever worked, the arch criminals you've met, and the pat alibis you've ripped to shreds. Men will be kids, and you pin a medal on yourself. The medal I always cop off comes when the bragging gets around to the most dough, the most loot at stake in a case. My topper is a modest $40 million. I got the case in the back row of a 40-cent movie house over on 3rd Avenue. A Miss Briggs came looking for me, with an usher behind her throwing a spotlight on me with his flash. Mr. Craig. A tall lady in stiff corsets who looked like somebody's loyal girl Friday paging me. Mr. Craig. Sit down and enjoy a movie, Miss, uh, uh, uh... Briggs. Miss Briggs. I can't stay, thank you. You are Mr. Craig. Red top, handsome though rugged, the outdoor look. Am I describing myself or flattering myself? Uh, you're describing yourself, yes. Then I'm Barry Craig, and that's for sure. Have some popcorn. I must talk to you, but please, not here. In the lounge. Gregory Peck will be awfully mad if I walk out on him. Please, Mr. Craig, people are staring. 
How did you corner me like this? Jake, your elevator man. He said you were always here in the back row taking your afternoon nap when you weren't busy. Jake, huh? Snake in my bosom. Remind me not to confide in him so much. In the lounge, Miss Briggs dropped the case in my lap. This cablegram came to my office today. What's your office? Branch Talbot, attorney at law. I'm Mr. Talbot's secretary. Old faithful, huh? I've been with Mr. Talbot for only nine years. Oh, you're only breaking in. Miss Briggs, hire a confidential operative to meet Clipper arriving tonight. Tangle Wild Airport. Check time. Talbot. What's the emergency? My employer, Mr. Talbot, is returning from abroad, from Portugal, with a client, Floyd Spencer, Jr. You pointed that up like I ought to know the name. Floyd Spencer, Jr., let me think. Oh, the neochromite heir, golden boy who inherits an industrial fortune. Estimated at $40 million. The late Floyd Spencer, Sr. was very rich. You're forcing me to agree. I'm vague on the background. Uh, I've got a block against heirs. All I was left was a shaving mug and a second-hand toothbrush. The Floyd Spencer separated more than 15 years ago when the boy was six. Mrs. Spencer lived abroad in Portugal as a voluntary expatriate. The boy was reared and educated there. And now with Spencer Sr. dead, she's coming home with Sonny Boy. No. Mrs. Spencer died in Portugal some weeks ago. The boy is coming home. I mean the young man. My employer, Mr. Talbot, has been the Spencer family attorney for a very long time. The Spencer family's now dwindled down to Floyd Jr.? And an uncle, Uncle Stanley, the late Mr. Spencer's brother. Why am I being hired? Uh, well, Mr. Talbot is worried. There were two incidents in Portugal. Clarify, please. Accidents involving Floyd Jr. Accidents on purpose? Is that why Talbot's worried? I believe so, yes. The estate, the size of the fortune, and young Spencer's long estrangement from his deceased parent, the long exile as it was, where there could be complications. Homicidal complications, that is? I don't want to use the word recklessly. A nice restraint, Miss Briggs. My compliments. Forty million dollars. That grade of cabbages uh, doesn't always excite the best behavior in people. Uh, this check is your retainer. Fifteen hundred. This grade of cabbage, Miss Briggs, always excites the very best in me. Fog lay over the Tangle Wild Airport like blotches of green and gray paint hanging midair. I waited on the edge of the landing field, close as I could get without risking sudden decapitation. And then when the Sky Giant sat down to unload, I changed stations and got close to the passenger walk, looking to identify Talbot from a picture Miss Briggs had equipped me with. Talbot simplified everything by identifying me. Uh, Mr. Craig? On the job with a bright and shining face. I can barely see it in this miserable fog. Where's Spencer, Jr.? He's right behind me. Uh, Floyd, meet Barry Craig. How do you do? This is Paul Shandor, Mr. Craig. Paul Shandor? Where does he fit into the party? Uh, don't be an obvious detective, Craig, please. Stick your hand out, Talbot. What for? 1500 your retainer. You're getting it back. But I don't want it back. If I'm responsible for the safety of Junior here, I want to know who's who in the party and why. Well, Paul Shandor is my traveling companion and friend, Mr. Craig. That answers my question. Now, introduce me all over. Uh, Paul Shandor, Mr. Craig. I'm happy to meet you, Mr. Craig. No offense intended, Paul. I was just being thorough. Oh, I understand, of course. You are Floyd's protector. And I worry about it. Golden Boy here stacks as high as the national debt. 
We'll wait right here until everybody's off the field and gone. After that, we'll leave through a route I've mapped out. Uh, Craig, are these precautions admirable as they are? It's why you hired me, Talbot. So let's not be impatient, huh? The first pot shot at $40 million commenced as we crossed the field toward a private door in the administration building. The gunner wearing the fog for a shroud. Oh! Hit the dirt, everybody, and stay down. Who was it got hit? I did, Mr. Craig. My leg. Your $40 million leg. It's 20 yards at the door. Crawl toward it, everybody. Crawl? Now, Craig, I... I'm in charge, Talbot. It's crawl, infantry style. There's a killer out there making the fog work wonders for him. Stand up and you're a goner. In the administration building, Spencer Jr. got his leg wound cleaned and cauterized and a shot of penicillin to keep bacteria from getting ideas. It's only a superficial flesh wound, the doctor says. Thank the fog for that. Well, the fog saved Floyd's life, yes, but it also enabled the assassin's escape. If he's escaped. If he... Well, I don't understand. Walk with me, Talbot. I mapped out a route, they said. The plan, remember? Yes. An empty field. Then through a private door. Just our party. Once in that door, two airport cops were to fall in with us. Stay with us until we climbed into a waiting limousine. That's well enough conceived. If only the assassin hadn't chosen the field itself for an ambuscade. He wasn't always there. He got on the field after the clipper landed and emptied. Why don't follow? Oh, in here. I had the big searchlights play over the field before we started across to the administration door. Yes, yes, there were searchlights for a moment. Then two blinks, stop one blink. To signal me, everything was okay before our party started across. Our gunner sneaked onto the field through the same door we were heading toward. But why through the same door? Because he had to, for timing and target range. The regular field gates measure 250 to 400 yards away. Oh, and the fog would make such marksmanship improbable. Make it impossible. Your stress on that same door and on the time element, it uh, obviously has significance. It does. It signifies... Joe Potato. Joe Joe Potato? Over there on the bench. I brought him out with me. Joe takes pictures with an eye for goons, creeps, and connivers. Oh, Joe, come here. Hey, Craig, I don't want to be waiting around long. It's drafty in here. No good for my rheumatism. Meet a friend, Joe. Mr. Talbot, Joe Potato. I've been telling you and telling you Nick's on a nickname, Craig. It ain't doing me no good socially. Oh, what other name have you got? Well, I like Joe the Photographer. It's got advertising in it. Oh, clever. Clever. So let me sell you the picture already in blow, huh? You've got it developed? I told you the box I work is automatic. It's got its own developer built in the back. Now here's the picture. Now give me what you promised me. Here you are. 20. Oh, I'm rooked in this deal. Freezing out here for hours for a lousy 20. I'll be spending on radio diathermy. Uh, this uh, picture, Craig, may I see it? Sure. You uh, believe this fellow to be the assassin? Tell Talbot, Joe. Only one guy went out that private door, and that picture's him. Police headquarters. Trev Rogers. Speaking. Oh, Barry Craig. Sound far away. It's Alaska, I hope. Tangle Wild Airport, Long Island. 
Sorry. There's a clipper leaving for Hindustan in an hour. Climb aboard it, Craig, with a one-way ticket. There's a character in balloon pants leaving here for your office in three minutes. Joe, the photographer. Joe Potato. <laughs> he just changed his name. Why are you sending him to me? He's carrying a photograph. A face you see on post office circulars. Check it with your rogues gallery file. What's the rap? Hunting out of season. The game warden's office is in Albany. When you've got something, try phoning me at the Floyd Spencer Estate, Twin Oaks in Southampton. Don't wait at the telephone, Craig. You'll grow a long gray beard. So be a traitor to your police oath. What's one more killer on the loose? Kill it. Craig, I insist. Goodbye now. When Spencer Jr. dropped the anguished look from his royal kisser, I questioned him privately in my jalopy driving to the Spencer place with Talbot and Shandor gone on ahead. I wanted information. And I also wanted the bang of being all alone with 40 million bucks. I'm not sure I understand your questions, Mr. Craig. Excuse my peasant English. You're a target for murder, Sonny. Yes, I, I apparently am. There were two other attempts on you abroad. I want to know about them. Well, a fall from a horse during a polo match... The stirrup had suddenly torn free. There were evidences of a knife. The straps had been tampered with. Attempt uh, number two? After dinner one night, I became violently ill. A tomane attack. I was rushed to a hospital. Your food had been poisoned? I suppose it was, yes. Whom do you suspect? Nobody. If I have enemies, I don't know them. Who profits by your death? Who profits? Uh, the estate. Who gets it? Oh, well, uh, my Uncle Stanley, I suppose. He's the closest relative I have. Is there any other information you think I should have? I don't want to attach importance to something possibly imaginative or a pure coincidence. Let me interpret it. You tell it. Well, for weeks in Lisbon, in Cairo, and later again in Lisbon, I had the feeling I was being followed and watched. I'd turn unexpectedly and see a person somewhere in the background. Always the same person. Describe this person. A bland face, like an Oriental's is bland. A man of dainty size, simply clothed, and uh, wearing a fez. A fez? Yes, a bright red fez. Where did you see him last? I dislike saying this positively. Then say it negatively, only say it. I'm not sure, but that he wasn't on the clipper coming across. There was such a person, a face reminiscent of the man I've described, only... Only? Well, he wasn't wearing the fez. Missing those ditches is like hedge hopping. You see what I see up ahead? A barrier across the road. A pole between two wooden horses. Not a lantern or flare to mark it. Oh, there's a sign tacked on it. Can you make out what it says? Um, detour, road repairs ahead. The arrow points left. Would a detour left? Yeah. like a wagon trail. Hey, how high does this climb? When do we connect back with the main road? Well, the visibility's worse. I suggest your bright lights. They're on, for all the good they are. Hey, we're risking our necks. Mr. Craig, a dead end. Dead end? It's off the mountain, you mean? Cross your fingers, I've got a crash. out of the concussion worrying about a tooth on the lower gum. Pushed my tongue against it and it swung like an old-time saloon door. 
Damages to the car look minor. Dented grill. The hood with folds like corrugated cardboard. I stood beside the car, breathing in deep, fueling my lungs, before I remembered to worry about Spencer Jr. The kid lay unconscious on the front seat where he'd been riding beside me. Quiet, with his eyes wide open, like a guy stunned into a trance. Normal enough reaction to a car burrowing itself into a cliffside. Chafe his wrists to get the blood circulating, and he'd come to as good as new. Spencer. Spencer. Only thing, Spencer Jr. wasn't coming to, ever. I was rubbing the wrists and patting the cheeks of a dead man. determined the cause of death by tracing a trickle running down his cheek. A trickle of blood that bounced off his collar and soaked into his clothes. A head injury over the ear. But it hadn't come from the crash. The real cause of death had a touch of voodoo. Floyd Spencer Jr. had been shot in the head. tried starting the car without any luck. My jalopy would need towing. That is, if a tow car would dare up the old wagon road. I was standing around keeping a corpse company and wondering how to get both of us back to civilization when the fez rode into the picture. A car tuning its horn and shimmering its lights up the old wagon road toward me. I watched the car door open and a fez pop out. Bland face like an Oriental's, a man of dainty size, just as Spencer Jr. had described him. Your car is disabled? Your eyesight's better than that. It crashed. Yes, now I see. And your companion, where is he? Dead on the front seat. Dead from so small a collision? Dead from a bullet in his brain. So? Who are you? Marcel Surak. How did you come to be tagging up here? In pursuit of you, of course. What detained you? I've been admiring the landscape up here 15 minutes at least. I lost contact with you on the detour. The phony detour, the way I figure it now. Somebody rigged that detour to send me up a mountain that spiraled to a dead end. Yes. The detour was, how do you say, manufactured. I examined it. I didn't. I still want to know how you caught up with my party way up here. Your tire tracks. In the pitch dark with headlights swallowed up in mists? I am very expert in scientific pursuit. Yeah, I heard. Cairo, Lisbon. And on the clipper without your fez. You stayed closer to the late Spencer Jr. than his skin. Why? For the present, I do not care to divulge. Change your mind, mister. The kid was murdered while we both lay unconscious after that crash. Someone waited up here for a free shot at the kid if I miraculously kept the car from going over the cliff. He was in my care and I flopped. I fell for the detour gag. Now talk or I'll tear you apart. It is so very foolish. Force will not succeed. It won't, huh? Let's see if you're right. You are so very foolish. No. Force will not succeed. I am pleased to remind you. That fancy flip that sent me sailing. What's the trick? Jiu-jitsu. I am the finest exponent of jiu-jitsu in the world. Oh, let's have another go at it. No, this time I will shoot you. A gun, huh? You are under arrest, Mr. Craig. 
Come again? I am a confidential investigator. You're a confidential investigator? Licensed by the governments of Egypt and Portugal. In my pocket, I have credentials and a letter of introduction to your authorities. <laughs> What's the charge against me? Murder. I am sure that you have murdered the young man Floyd Spencer Jr. Please to enter my car. Sure. In a minute. Please, now. I gotta tie my shoelace. Okay. Tie it. Oh! I'm the foremost pitcher of rocks in all of the boroughs in Greater New York, except Brooklyn. After frisking Sorak and studying a flock of papers he kept in what looked like a diplomat's wallet, I turned him over to the New York police, credentials and all. It's an official case now, Craig, of public concern, too big for you to dominate. What's your verdict on Marcel Sorak? He is what he says, a confidential investigator. Detail by whom? The authorities in Lisbon. I've checked by transoceanic telephone. Those two attempts on the Spencer Air were an embarrassment to Portuguese officialdom. As an official gesture, they assigned Sorak to watch over the boy, protect him. Perhaps discover who was plotting against him. How is Sorak? In Fullersham Hospital, recovering from a broken head. You really beat him. A reflex reaction. He threw a gun on me. Did you identify that picture Joe the photographer brought you? I did. Wally Mavis, a Detroit import. He was a killer for hire. Did you say was? Distinctly. Don't tell me. Mavis was found dead at the foot of a cliff by state troopers. An automobile wreck. Foot of a cliff? You couldn't be referring to the cliff I almost went off. Mavis took the same arranged detour you did. Only didn't have the wheelsmanship at the dead end. Mavis muffed killing Spencer Jr. in the airport fog, so... So his employer shut him up forever. His employer, huh? Trav. Yes, the hired killer, Wally Mavis. Has news of his death gotten out yet? Gotten out? To the press, over the radio, to John Q. Public. Well, no, it hasn't. I don't think. Mavis was identified hardly an hour ago. Keep it like that. Mum, undisclosed. Wally Mavis wasn't shut up. He's in the police hospital. He survived the wreck. I see your scheme. I'm so glad you do. Just don't gum it up, huh? ancestral home of the Spencers, Twin Oaks, had the usual high stone fences and baying hounds. Inside, at long last, I got to meet Uncle Stanley. Where is my nephew, Mr... Uh, you tell me your name now. Three times. Outside the door, at the door, and in the vestibule. Oh, so you did. You're Mr. Howard. Craig. Well, my nephew was coming with you, the lawyer Talbot said. Now, where's my nephew? In the morgue. In the morgue, did you say? I said. He's dead. He was murdered. Oh, now, was he? Is that all the reaction? Huh? Oh, what did you say now? I said, where's the reaction? You lost a favorite nephew. Favorite? Oh, the boy was no favorite of mine. I noticed. Fifteen years in that foreign land and coming home now to steal what belongs to me. Uh, where, where did you say he is now, did you say, huh? Taking in a movie. Where's Talbot and Paul Shandor? Uh, sitting in the library. The boy's no favorite of mine. Fifteen years in that foreign land, and now he comes home. To... In the library, Talbot managed a look that said he'd like to see me boiled in oil. You were criminally derelict, Craig. I fell for a phony detour. Young Spencer was entrusted to your charge, and now he's dead. Any excuses don't stand with me. Is that a threat, too? 
Who engineered young Spencer's murder? Well, how should I know? Try to guess. I'm staying with this case until I nail the murderer, Talbot. Neochromite. What about neochromite? It's the keystone to the entire Spencer fortune. An industrial synthetic more revolutionary than plastics. It's the, the bellwether of the stock market. Shrewd traders have made fortunes in its market rise. Shrewder traders have made greater fortunes in its market fall. Too complex for me. Where's the motive for murder in neochromite? I'm speaking hypothetically, mind you. Floyd Spencer Sr. kept iron control of neochromite. Spencer control was jeopardized when he died. And Spencer control is over with young Spencer's murder. Is that the idea? Neochromite becomes a free-for-all? Yes, yes. There are literally scores of manipulators who can profit by young Spencer's death. Scores of murder suspects. The stakes are beyond imagination. Suppose now we limit our imaginations to Uncle Stanley. Only hypothetically, mind you. Uh, what's Uncle's state of mind? Feeble. You've talked to him. How about his state of energy? Energy? To hire a professional killer, then go it alone and rig a phony detour sign. Then hide out on a mountaintop and fire a bullet into his nephew's brain. It takes energy and zip and muscle. Also, some mental coordination. Does old uncle add up to it? Oh, possibly. He's spry enough, remarkably active, in fact, for his age, and charged with hatred. Hatred? Hatred for the wife and mother who deserted his brother, the late Floyd Spencer Sr. Hatred for the boy come home to usurp a fortune. A nice try, Talbot. Well, what did you say? I said a nice try. Scores of suspects, generally, and a mentally defunct uncle, specifically. A nice try. To make the situation beautifully confused, but it won't work. But just what nonsense is this, Craig? The hired killer. The one knocked off as a precaution because I'd connived a photograph of him. I'm referring to Wally Mavis, brought in from Detroit. He didn't die, Talbot, as scheduled. Therefore? Nice acting. Nice facial control. You'd be an Academy Award bet in pictures if you weren't going to the electric chair. Craig, you've lost your mind. I won't stand here and listen to you. Then you'll lie here. No! Mavis survived the car wreck. He lived to confess who hired him. The last I heard, Mavis talked 28 pages of police evidence. On page one, he named you. Ma Mavis named me? He spelled your name out big. He swore you hired him to murder Floyd Spencer, Jr. <laughs> An old psychological police trick with a beard like Rip Van Winkle's. But how it worked. Talbot was too much of an amateur in murder to smell out the trick or hold off from singing out his guilt in a voice that started out baritone and ended falsetto. Trav Rogers motored himself over to Twin Oaks for some post-mortems. So Talbot had looted the Spencer estate and was afraid of an accounting. Check, an accounting. Forced by young Spencer and Talbot would go to jail. Talbot wanted time, lots of time. He hoped to make good his steps from the Spencer estate through neochromite. By cheap. Profit by the confused market reaction created by the murder of the Spencer heir. Mm -hmm. Buy cheap, then sell high. That's the whole story. Hiring me was a camouflage. A screen to hide behind. Not very clever. In my book, hiring you made Talbot a prime suspect. In my book, too. Right from scratch. So let's not brag. Too bad about young Spencer. 21 with $40 million. The whole wide world his for the taking. Kind of a sad end for him. Don't shed tears, Trav, for the wrong corpse. The wrong corpse? Take a gander at this snapshot. 
I found it on Marcel Serac when I frisked him. Huh. It's a picture of young Spencer's traveling companion, Paul Shander. There's a spitting of rust on your mental machinery, Lieutenant. Say, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Paul? Yes, Mr. Craig. Marcel Serac wasn't interested in a Paul Shandor. His assignment was Floyd Spencer, Jr. Yes, of course. I guess this snapshot Serac carried on him to be Floyd Spencer, Jr. As a matter of fact, I guess you to be Floyd Spencer, Jr. Yes. I am Floyd Spencer. You changed identities with Paul Shander? Yes, in Lisbon, before Mr. Talbot's arrival. It was Paul's idea to cheat cheaters, he said. To ensure that I lived. Quite a beau jest to do what he did for you. Laying down his life for a friend. Paul was a beau jest. All through him, Lieutenant. He was a man I could never be. We, uh, we made a bargain when we exchanged identities. What was the bargain? That if he lost his life, I would lose my fortune. Lose it? How? Give it away. Befriend the world was how Paul put it. And will you? I'll try to keep to my bargain. I, too, want very much to be a beau jest. Forty million dollars. And, brother, does this sad old world need befriending? Good night, folks. See you next week. Listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Motive for Murder, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story titled Murder in Mink, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, I meet a girl who has lost a mink coat, a man who has lost his head, and a corpse which has lost its life. See you next week, folks. Featured in the role of Talbot was Arnold Moss. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Next, Robert Montgomery presents something different in news analysis on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Reviews are always appreciated, so if you have a moment, please do stop and send us one. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.